0: <laughs> WD40 <laughs> I can fix that <laughs> uh, Well, here we go. Uh we often joke about how uh, these uh topics get divvied out amongst uh JC and myself and uh and Mike and You know, we often joke about how sometimes if it's anything having to do with insanity, uh, things kind of get kicked my way for some strange reason or (laughs) certain topics Jay seems to always pick up on. And, you know, so today we're tackling uh, tough issues, and is the series we're on and we're tackling what I would say is perhaps one of the toughest, and I'd love to say that I was approached and... (laughs) con-convinced to uh, tackle this particular issue, but I've got to be honest, I actually volunteered for this. When I saw what the topic was, I actually sought Mike out and asked him if I could do this. And the reason I did that is because I am a moron. (laughs) And as I'm preparing for this, I'm thinking... What was I thinking (laughs) to tackle this issue in particular? And and just just as an entry to make sure you don't think I'm some kind of an expert when it comes to the topic of sexual immorality that we're going to be talking about today, Uh, you know, this is, I'm sure, my weakest suit if we were talking card games I don't claim to be an expert in sex in any way, shape, or form. Uh, in fact, years ago, somebody asked me what I thought the most effective form of birth control was, and I said, uh, my personality. <laughs> that seems to be working. <laughs> so, but when it, But when it comes to struggling over sexuality and the flip side, struggling with loneliness, I certainly have a long history of of wrestling with the issue in general. So and it really is my pleasure to get up and pass along a few of the things that were passed along to me that I found extremely helpful in wrestling not only with this topic, but how it relates to our spirituality. Uh, It's no doubt that we live today in a very polarized society. Uh, If there are certain topics where the mere introduction of them reminds me of when I'm out in the garage lighting this propane heater that I have, one of those that mount on top of the tank, and you turn the gas on and then you take this barbecue lighter and stick it in there and pull the trigger and it goes (laughs) woof. And you know it's lit when you smell burning flesh. And then I have to run into the house and borrow the wife's eyebrow pencil and draw those back in. <laughs> but the introduction of certain topics today is like lighting that heater. Where inst- People can go from seemingly normal to rabid in a nanosecond. If you introduce uh, certain topics like racism, Illegal immigration, gun control. Uh, If you talk about the last election, instantly things get polarized. And that's certainly true if you introduce certain topics about sexuality. To discuss intelligently things about certain sexual proclivities or gender identification, issues like that by their nature are very inflammatory, and there's very opposite opinions on a lot of this. In fact, uh, if you look at the Supreme Court of our United States right now, and you think, well, what's on their docket? What huge topics, huge dilemmas are they discussing at at the level of our Supreme Court today? Is it matters of national security or state rights versus federal control? Maybe war powers? No. One of the main things that they're discussing now is whether or not you should bake a cake. (laughs) I mean, that's what we've come to. How polarizing things are. So, as some of you know, you know, I I ended up uh, having a spiritual experience, and that led me to quit drinking about thirty, a little over thirty-four years ago, and that event almost instantly catapulted me into a dark night of the soul that lasted about a year and a half or two years, where I knew that I needed to find God, and I couldn't. I knew I needed to conjure some faith, and I couldn't. And I tried desperately to try and rectify my problems with God, even to come to believe that there was a God and then to decide what his nature was is he even friendly <laughs> and and going through that process i thank god for the people that came alongside me at that point in my life that took me by the hand and led me through a process by which i could be restored to some semblance of sanity and to have a spiritual awakening not just an experience but an awakening where i could Develop a personal relationship and get some questions answered and figure some things out. And those people that came alongside me, uh, I love how they approach things with me because I don't ever remember one of those guys asking me what I thought. <laughs> I don't remember them asking him what I, what I uh, not so much what I believed, but they didn't care what I thought. They didn't care how I felt. They didn't ask, well, how do you feel? What they asked me over and over again is, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then they asked, and how's that working for you exactly? (laughs) I hated that. And that was very convicting because what they were trying to get me to see is the decisions that I made were not based in sound principles. And that's why my life was unmanageable, because I had a thinking problem, not just a drinking problem. In fact, what I really had when it came to drinking was a drinking solution, (laughs) not a drinking problem. And that's why when they started to look at my thinking and my decision-making, it helped me immensely. Now, I'll be the first to admit, these guys were not always nice. (laughs) Rarely were they nice, but it turned out they were always right. And that's why they were so helpful to me, because they loved me enough to tell me the truth. And that certainly was true when it came to the topic that we're discussing today. Now, when I was a young lad sitting in the Harmony Presbyterian Church down in Hurley, South Dakota... They instilled in me as a youth a certain set of morals. They instilled in me a certain belief system that had to do with sexuality and sex. They had a whole list of things they gave me, things not to do. Now, years later, when I hit my bottom and quit drinking and met these gentlemen that went on to become my sponsors and spiritual advisors along the way, it was really weird because... This one guy gave me basically the exact same list as I got in Sunday school. And I, he said, if, if you want to stay sober a long time, I suggest you do not do the things on this list. And I said, why? Because they're immoral? He says, no, because they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot tell you how much that resonated with me. <laughs> Because he cleverly took the morality debate out of it, and instead of looking at it from a moral angle, he looked at it from a sanity angle. And he explained to me that if you want to live, he says, it's hard enough to stay sober and be a productive citizen when things are going right. But he says, if you don't practice a level of problem prevention, especially in this area, you're going to experience a level of pain and a number of problems, some of which don't have a solution. (laughs) So he says, if you want to be successful and sober, he says, I suggest you don't do certain things. Because God knows it's hard enough to... To stay on the straight and narrow without in putting yourself in a position to be hurt with all kinds of things that didn't sound very appealing to me. You know, things like getting shot by jealous husbands didn't sound appealing. And certain diseases out there certainly didn't sound appealing, especially because nowadays a lot of those are incurable. And uh, child support didn't sound very appealing. I couldn't survive on the money I was making. You try taking, you know, a third of that off the top, man, that's that's my fun money. <laughs> so, there was... And so that resonated with me. It just made good, practical sense. And I thank God for those guys. And and the other thing that they instilled in me is they convinced me that most of what I considered to be sex problems had very little to do with sex. Just like my alcohol problems turned out to have very little to do with alcohol. Because most of my problems had to do with my thinking. They had to do with deception. They had to do with defects of character. Those were the roots. The drinking was the fruit. And that, I believe, is true of all addictions, where it's not so much what we do, but why we do it. And that certainly is true also in the area of sexuality. That's why I love how they teach it in Overeaters Anonymous, where they say it's not about what you're eating, it's about what's eating you. And I thought, wow, that's deep. (laughs) But it's also true. So when we get down to the real root of the problems we have today with our sex and sexuality, If we look beyond the sex, one of the things that they taught me is when I look at why I do things and I start to connect the dots between my behavior and my defects of character, I started to understand how many decisions I made in this area that didn't have so much to do with a desire for sex as it did a desire, for example, for social acceptance. A lot of my decisions had more to do with pride and ego, proving something to somebody, Uh, thinking if I have this person or a gal that looks like this, then people think I'm normal or okay or cool, or they'll think that somehow that makes me a better person because I can attract that kind of person. But, you know, is that a sex thing or is that an ego thing? Sometimes engaging in certain behaviors, not because I want to, but I just want a great story to tell in the locker room next Monday. See, that really isn't about sex so much as it is about pride and social acceptance. Other decisions got made on the basis of fear. Fear if you don't do certain things, people will leave you. If you don't do certain things, that they're going to look at you sideways. If you don't do certain things, that somehow you're less than cool or or less than popular or just less than a man. Uh, yet other problems that you know where they manifest in sex, but they have a lot to do with security, securing relationships. And one of the things I learned is not that I'm oversexed, I'm insecure. So As we look at some of these reasons, and even on the darker side of it, I've seen a lot of decisions be made in this area, even based on something as dark as anger and revenge. I'll get you. I'm going to show you. And and you see people all the time make decisions in the area of sexuality when really it has to do with getting even with somebody. I'm going to go out with your sister or your mom or whatever it is, dark. But yet, is that a sex problem or is that an anger problem? Is that a resentment problem? And you see, the point of this is that when we look beyond the what and start to look at the why, I think we get down to the real roots of a lot of our decision making and And that's why when we look at today's passage in 1 Corinthians, it says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. I love how that talks again and again about don't you know, and how these passages in the Bible are trying to not only educate us, but remind us, not just of what we are, but who we are in God. See, and they talk about the Spirit a lot, and I don't know if you're like me. I turn on the news in the morning and I listen to what's going on in the world. And lately, it's, the news has been especially dark because there's some people out there lately that have done some very bad things, very horrible things. And you see these guys on the news debating, well, do you think he was mentally ill? <laughs> Durr. <laughs> you know, yeah, he has a mental problem, but. Beyond that, what I would love more than anything is to turn on the news some morning and see these pundits debating and have one of them say, Do you think he has a spiritual problem? Because that's what it's really about. He has a spiritual deficiency. That is ultimately why so many people do what they do. But you're never going to hear that on CNN. <laughs> You're not going to hear that on Fox News, because the world doesn't work that way. It's the truth. These people are devoid of spirit, God's spirit. How do I know that? Because if they were possessed by a living, loving Lord, they would not find it necessary to do the things they do. It is a direct correlation between a lack of God's Spirit and the decisions that they made, just like me. And that's why when it talks in here about the importance of the presence of God's Spirit, I think hopefully what we're going to see today is how critical of an element that is into finding peace with our sexuality. The first point that I put in here from from Romans and then the next one from Galatians is it talks about how what I learned through the course of my life is that whatever I focus on gets magnified. And unfortunately, in a lot of religions, they teach us to be sin conscious, to focus our magnifying mind on sin. And the more that we focus on that, unfortunately, the bigger that becomes. And the irony, as Mike often points out, is that actually, by focusing on that, it can actually increase our behavior and not decrease it. What the Bible actually teaches us to do is not to become sin-conscious so much as sun-conscious the more that we take our focus off of sin and put them on Christ, the more that He becomes the focal point and the less that these other things become magnified and they can find their rightful place. A huge part of my story years ago was uh, in the middle of this huge spiritual battle that I was engaged in. I picked up our local paper one day and I opened it up And there was this huge three-quarter page ad ad in it. And at the top in bold letters it said, Confused about God? (laughs) How did the Argus leader find that out? (laughs) But I'd see this. And what that was, was it was a huge advertisement for a series of talks that were going to be given in Sioux Falls by a gentleman named Josh McDowell. And he came into town, and he gave this three-night series of talks. Now, unfortunately, at the time, I was working nights, and there was no way I could attend that, but being the high-tech guy that I am, (laughs) I wired up my home stereo using a timer and a tuner, and I figured out, because these talks that he was giving were going to be simulcast on a local Christian radio station. So I set this up so I could actually record these talks every night and then come home and, and listen to them. So I recorded them on a cassette tape. I know now there's the younger people in here going, Siri, what is cassette tape? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> cassette tape is an antique MP3 file. <laughs> but I record these things on a cassette. And a lot of what Josh talked about in relation to being confused about God had to do with exactly what my sponsors and spiritual advisors were explaining to me. It's not that I don't believe in God. It's that I have resentments, fears, and sexual confusion. Resentment, fear, and sex. We do a moral inventory in recovery where we look at those three areas. I did an entire fourth step just on I'm resentful at God. And I listed all the things God did that I didn't think he ought to do and all the things he didn't do that I kind of thought he should have done. And I realized it's not that I don't believe in God. I'm really, really angry with him. Then I did another one. I'm afraid of God and I listed the causes and how it affected me, and I realized I have a lot of fear in relation to God. And it's not just a fear that God is going to get me. There was a lot of that. But there was also a lot of fear on what would it look like exactly if I got serious about God? What does He want from me? What is He going to turn me into? And that terrified me because... I just knew that if I got serious about God, I was going to be on the next bus to Zimbabwe. (laughs) And that's a tough bus ride. (laughs) That Pacific Ocean will kill you. But I just knew that if I get serious about God, He's going to turn me into something I don't want to be. And then the third area was God and sexuality. And not that I even had a game, but if I did, I didn't want him messing with it. (laughs) Because it was like my old mentor, Father Rock. Father Rock used to say, the last two areas of our life that we're going to let the light of God's wisdom shine into are the areas of sex and money. When it comes to finance and romance, our battle cry is, My kingdom come, my will be done. Not only do I not want to look at, not know or do God's will, I don't even want to hear it. La, 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 la. I don't even want you to tell me what it is. And I love what Mike said a couple of weeks ago. Our struggle as humans is not that we don't know God's will, and we want to, it's exactly the opposite. Oh, we know God's will, we just don't want it. (laughs) And that turned out to be more truthfully what I struggled with. In the back of my head, I knew, or at least thought I knew, what God's expectations were in that area, and I didn't want it. Because I thought the word G-O-D spelled no fun. I thought you could rearrange the letters and that was God. You know, just a big guy in the sky saying, no. <laughs> Can I? No. How about if I? No. Because <laughs> that to me was God. And you see, so Josh McDowell gets on there and what he talked about. All, so many of my questions in relation to sex and God were answered by two simple words. We say them in the Lord's Prayer when they ask Christ, teach us to pray. The first two words out of his mouth were, Our Father. Our Father. And he started to explain why God made certain rules the way he did. It wasn't because he's setting us up to fail or he doesn't want us to have fun. It's because as a perfect parent, he loves us. He loves us enough to tell us the truth. He loves us enough to want to protect us from ourselves. Protect us from our own defects and the horrible decisions we make based on those. And he goes on to explain how... Myself and so many of my friends back in the day when we were hip, slick, and cool, we had certain attitudes towards females and certain beliefs and how ladies should be treated, and that's okay, and, and we believed in promiscuity and all kinds of stuff. And I know a lot of my friends were like that. And they played it fast and loose, and they had no problem with that. And then, because of a certain divine justice or a certain uh, way that God must amuse himself, he gave them daughters. (laughs) And now, all of a sudden, it's amazing how overnight they just adopted every moral standard that they had rejected in their own life. (laughs) All of a sudden, they dusted off that same set of rules and went, these look pretty good all of a sudden. (laughs) I'm going to try to apply these to my own (laughs) youngins. Not that I wanted that, but I can see where they could benefit greatly from this morality. (laughs) The point of that is so simple. Why did they want to have those rules for their own daughter? Love. Love. It's not judgmental, it's not punishing, it's not one of these, it's one of these. Because I love you, I don't want you to be divorced. Because I love you, I don't want to see you get sick. Because I love you, I don't want to see you become unpopular or injured or even killed. I want you to be safe, I want you to be protected, I want you to be happy, I want you to have genuine peace of mind. So as a matter of problem prevention, as good fathers, they adopt certain codes that they would love to see their daughters adhere to. And I thought, wow. See, all of a sudden, what Josh provided was the why. Love. And as we become more son-conscious and start to understand the true nature and character of God as physically expressed through His Son. The nature and character of God is love. And the more we understand that's God's motivation, the more we can understand how that also can be our own. And how it's not about being judgmental or punishing, it's simply about being loving. And love demands truth and reality. So that really blew my mind. The second point is it has to do with that other thing that Mike talks about a lot that I just love. Connection, then correction. It's amazing how many times I hear that parable taught of not casting the first stone, the woman caught in adultery. I mentioned in a previous series one time how I hear that quoted a lot in the secular world, trying to attack Christians for being judgmental. And I'm always quick to point out when somebody accuses me of being judgmental as a Christian, I always like turning it around and go, my gosh, that's awfully judgmental of you. (laughs) How dare you judge me and condemn me for being judgmental. (laughs) But... (laughs) Scrambles their eggs, they don't know where to file that. But the judgment of that, so they, they throw that out. Well, don't cast the first stone and he who is without sin. But it's interesting. They always seem to shave that last line off of it. The line that says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. See, they believe in connection, but no correction. There's others, a lot of churches, that teach all about correction, but there's no connection. They just have this cold, impersonal God that really is more like a jailer than a a God. Somebody you get turned over to, and he's going to, you know, department of... corrections. (laughs) Well, they're not so much into correcting. They're into punishing. And so they have correction without connection. And you see, with this story accurately related, it has both. But the connection comes first, and then the correction, it's a package deal. But as we've also taught before, it's not just about what Christ said either, but how did he say it? Did Christ say this? uh, And we get it wrong unless we understand the real nature and character of God. It's not enough to know the Bible. We need to know the author. The beauty is the author of this book is still alive. And you can call him up anytime you want and ask him, what do you mean by that? He'll tell you. Because what Christ said, go now and leave your life of sin, and we read that and think, Well did Jesus stand there okay, you just used your one get out of jail free card (laughs) and now you go and leave your life of sin. And if you don't, ooh, gonna be bad. See, it wasn't that at all. The picture of this it was not a command, it was an opportunity. No different than unlocking and opening a jail cell, a cell to a prison, and saying, I've set you free. You can leave. You don't have to be this person anymore. You don't have to do this anymore. You're free to leave. You can go. And you can leave this life for a better life. You see, the gentleness of that, The grace of that is the part that we often miss. because, And it's the same, again, going back to the example of addictions. See, what we teach people, it's not that you can't drink anymore. Is if you make some changes in your life, you don't need to drink anymore. You don't have to drink. Because you'll have what you really wanted all along. Peace. Peace of mind. And you see, when when God sets us free, it's not that we can't do things or we're not supposed to, it's you don't need to. Because the reason why we used to need to do them is removed. I don't need to take aspirin if I don't have a headache. (laughs) If I keep hitting myself in the head with a hammer, I need some aspirin too. And so, and the last part of this is to focus on immortality, not immorality. There's a great verse in here in Romans. It says, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. One of the things I love about that and other passages that deal with sexuality is they always seem to lump it in with all kinds of other stuff. They don't. The Bible doesn't make sex stand alone as a special problem or a different problem. The world does. If you tell somebody, well, somebody committed a wrong, oh, it was a sexual wrong, Ooh, and now all of a sudden you have my undivided attention. If some politician or some famous person goes sideways and it has something to do with sex, wow, that's a bigger deal somehow. But the Bible just lumps that in with everything else. Not bigger, not smaller. It's just a deal. The very word sin simply means missing the mark. It's like aiming at a target with a bow and arrow and, and it doesn't go in the bullseye. Well, that's missing the mark. Now, sometimes we miss it more than others. But you see, If you look at Christ's interactions with the religious leaders of the time, they made two tactical errors. One was they lowered the standard. The second was they elevated their own performance. So they kind of met in the middle and said, Well, I know that God said this is the standard, but really the standard is here. And even though I'm performing down here, I'm going to elevate it and say, I'm really doing this, so I'm there. Now, nobody else is, but, but I'm, I'm hitting the mark. Just like you can hit the bullseye if you make a bigger bullseye. <laughs> and that's what they did. And you see, all we're asking people to do, all God ever asked me to do is just, number one, acknowledge the standard. Don't change it, don't alter it, don't lower it. It's okay. It's okay to say this is the standard. And don't lie or deceive or elevate or rationalize or justify my own behavior. It's okay to say I'm not here. I am here. I used to be here. (laughs) Now I'm here. Someday I hope to get here. The day I die, I'll be glorified. I'll be here. In the meantime, I'm being sanctified. I'm getting closer. But why can't we just be honest and say, this is the standard, this is where I'm at, and say that's okay? Because it's not that God is here to get us, it's here that God is here to help us. We don't have to do any of this alone. The greatest spiritual truth I've ever heard, so profound but so simple, God will always change our behavior by changing our desire. It's all about a change of heart. How do you change your behavior? By having God change our desire. We always do what we want to do. We just find as time goes on, we want to do different things. Why did I do the things I used to in this area? (laughs) I wanted to. Why am I not doing a lot of those things today? I don't want to. What changed? Change of heart. Change of desire. That's the miracle. And that's what makes the impossible possible. It's easy if I want to. It's impossible if I don't want to. And that's the message of the New Testament. That's a huge part of the gospel. Change of heart. Change of spirit. So with that in mind, what the Bible tells us to do, again, instead of being sin conscious, instead of focusing on immorality, to take the long view and focus on immortality. Because the world says now or never. A midlife crisis is all about fear. You start to realize your mortality. The clock is ticking down. I ain't getting any younger. And man, if I'm going to do certain things, I better get her done. Get her done now, because I'm not going to have that opportunity tomorrow. Now or never. One of the popular things in today's culture—they abbreviate things. I don't know what the name is for that, but you know, LOL, laughing out loud, or whatever that is, whatever you, whatever you young people call that. I'm going to go home and ask Siri what the name for that is. And she go, you want to go where? I don't know. I can't ever get her to answer. Didn't, doesn't even hear the right questions. I can't handle that thing. <laughs> I have even seen the wife just beat her phone because, not what I wanted to know. Uh, but, uh, you, but one of the ones in today's culture is YOLO. You only live once. Hey, well, let's go do something really stupid. Why? Because you only live once, <laughs> yeah, and I'd like to make that a long period of time. Let's go jump off a mountain. You only live once, you know. But YOLO. And you see that the basis of that is, unless Jay just mentioned the Hindus, you know, that's what? You only live three or four hundred times. <laughs> Whatever you, that would spell, Y-O-L, something something. <laughs> you only live three hundred times, good or done, now. Well, don't wait for that next life. But that's the basis of midlife crisis. Fear. Now or never. Uh, I want it now. Nothing makes me part with money more than somebody telling me I can't have something. If I can't buy it in the future, cha-ching, cha-ching, I better get her now. Back in the 90s, there was a band that came out with a CD, another antique form of an MP3. (laughs) And they had some very offensive lyrics, or a very offensive song on this, and it was so inflammatory that they took it off the market. So they recalled all these and reissued it without that one bad song on there. And uh, so... You know, they banned this album and couldn't buy it anymore. So, guess where I went? Straight down to the record store. (laughs) Because I got to get a copy of this. Now, it's not music I listened to. (laughs) It's not a song I liked. And I don't think when I got it home, I ever even played it. But just the fact that I can't, if I don't buy it now, it's going to become unavailable. And I don't know if I thought it was going to be a collector's item someday or worth more money than I thought. I don't know. It didn't matter. I just uh, you know. A friend of mine was living in Arizona around 1994 when the government put in that assault weapon ban they did back then. He went to the gun store. He said people were lined up down the sidewalk and around the block, trying just to get into this gun store to buy an AK-47. And he said, most of those people in line, they got to talking with some people, they didn't even know what an AK-47 was. (laughs) All they knew is they turned on the news and they said, you're not going to be able to buy these anymore. They went straight to the gun shop and they had to have one or two. And they're buying these things just like crazy. You only live once, now or never. And that's how my head works too, unfortunately. And that's the root of midlife crisis. friend of mine, just about my age, a little old. Yeah, he's older than me. <laughs> Thank you. Just went out and bought a 630-horsepower Corvette. <laughs> now, that's not foolish. That's just really cool. <laughs> but, but unlike my friend in his new Corvette, there are some stupid things people do in a midlife crisis, <laughs> like have affairs <laughs> with younger women. And things like that. Because they only focus in this world, in this age, and they think, man, now or never. You only live once. i got to get it now. Fear. Fear. The Bible says now and forever. Not now or never. Now and forever. So you see, it doesn't matter so much if I'm not going to get it all now. It doesn't matter so much if I'm not going to get to taste it all in this life or do it all or experience it all. It doesn't matter. Because the day I die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And like Mike often says, on that day I'm going to be like a fish getting into the water. And whatever I missed in this life Whatever I didn't experience in this life, I might not get to experience it, per se, in the next life. Personally, my conception of heaven is: you die, and they give you a box with everything you lost in this world. Here's everything you lost. I've been looking for that for 20 years. (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) You know, and then they flip you the keys to a Hemi Challenger. (laughs) I can dream. all your pets are back to life, everything's cool. And you see, maybe heaven won't be exactly like that, but the experience of that will be there. That experience of hitting that hole in one, or that experience of hearing the back tires chirp when you grab a handful of third gear at 6,500 RPM, or whatever it is that floats your boat. The excitement of new love... (laughs) Some younger woman. See, it doesn't matter so much that what we get in this world if we take the broad view and realize it's not just about now, it's about then. And that whatever it is that we think we're missing, it will all be provided then. So as we ask our worship team to come up and we'll wrap this up. Uh, I realized that I was probably remiss. I forgot to give you the list of everything not to do. (laughs) That's not up to me. That's between you and God. If you really want to know, I think you can read it for yourself. But what I would encourage you to do is don't just look at what you do or want to do. Dig deeper. Why? What's really driving you? What are you really afraid of? And if we come at it from that angle... Maybe if we have less, if we have more spirit, we'll have a little less of what we're talking about today. Thank you. Lord, our prayer today is a very simple one. Please help us to live as you lived and to love as you loved The Bible says, with your spirit, all things are possible. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.